Welcome to Health Naturally on 2NURFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Dennis Stewart. Dennis, great to see you back once again. It's good to be with you, Greg. Now, Dennis, last week we were talking about arthritis mm-hmm. and herbs that can help you out. Mm. But you want to talk about dietary change as well in the arthritic condition. Look, it's a good topic to take up because people inevitably ask when you're talking about arthritic conditions, uh, are there ways and means of addressing the problem from a lifestyle and dietary change? I think there are. And I'll talk about that initially today before we get on to look at some of the other anti-inflammatory remedies. Can dietary change, lifestyle modification affect arthritic conditions? And we've got Doug today from Fletcher, and he's just been recently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and he's after any sort of vitamins or natural remedies that can help him out. How are we going, Doug? Oh, good, thanks, guys. How are you? Very well, um, Doug. How, how advanced are you with your condition, Doug? Tell me about what level you're at. I think I've probably had it for 18 months. Okay. Um, I have a um, slight shaking in my left side. Okay. Now, um, mm-hmm. Generally, conditions are, are not that bad at the moment. Okay, that's good. So your specialist has not prescribed Matapar or anything like that, has he? Yeah, I'm on Matapar yeah, three okay. tablets a yeah, day. Yep, yep. Yep. That, that um, in, in my observation over many years, is, is pretty good medication. Um, so I think you're... The guy that's uh, treating you, your good doctor, has started you off well. And what I would counsel you in is not to suddenly feel as though you need to reach out and grab everything in the universe that might have some potential to help this condition because there'll be many opportunists out there that say, oh, if you take this, it'll do that, etc. However, uh, your general question is regarding Parkinson's diseases. Are there any vitamins, natural remedies, etc. that might assist? The first yeah, I've, just become, yeah, I've yeah. just become aware of a, um, a study that was done yeah. in Germany, yeah. uh, in Italy, yes. about um, vitamin B1 okay. and the benefits of that in different, um, in varying doses. Okay. I was going to say that there seems to be a reasonable connection between the B group vitamins. Uh, you've mentioned vitamin B1. My understanding of the B group is that they are better, in fact, uh, in fact when the whole complex uh, is administered and that a B-complex vitamin with a high level of perhaps vitamin B1 might be a better way to go down that pathway. That would be my thinking. But certainly the B vitamins um, are one, one spectrum of vitamins that I would have suggested would be useful, and that's all that we could say could be useful in slowing down or addressing some of the existing symptoms. So I think by... Uh, looking at that research and uh, taking on board what is said, uh, it's worthwhile uh, to go to your good pharmacist and uh, talk to him about getting a B-complex, which incorporates a high level of vitamin B1, as recommended in the German paper you're talking about, or a B-complex at an isolated additional level of vitamin B1 to uh, give you that level that seems to emerge in the paper. I think that's a good start. However, what I would uh, be wanting to say is that my approach here would be to address the condition uh, from a a more holistic and more traditional perspective. I would see that a condition like this, a degenerative condition, uh, might benefit from uh, being resisted by herbs, particularly such as, say, Panax ginseng. Now, why would I recommend Panax ginseng? Panax ginseng has a a broad spectrum of possibilities that have made it famous in Asian medicine. In our system of medicine, we see it 
as a herb that supports, if you like, an old concept of vitality. Now, vitality is not used today, but in our system of medicine, we give regard to a sense of wellness where the patient's vitality is maintained, which improves his overall performance and and resistance uh, to disease. Uh, We would say that ginseng, for instance, Panax ginseng, Korean ginseng, would function as what's called an adaptogen. An adaptogen is a, a herb that has a broad spectrum in helping the body resist multiple conditions from the point of view of improving the overall vital functioning of the body in resisting disease. I would see that as a useful supplement to take on board, not because of any specific ability to work like Manipur or anything else, but rather to improve the overall health profile, resistance and general uh, vitality factor. I'd be looking at that herb. However, I would also say that there are three herbs which I have toyed with over many, many years in practice when occasionally I have seen people with this condition. And I am convinced the use of the three herbs has had some impact on the progression of the condition. And the three years that are the three herbs that I have regard for, first of all, there's a herb called skullcap, which is an American herb. Uh, botanically, it's known as scutellaria. And it has uh, a reputation for addressing uh, muscular convulsive type conditions, reinforced um, by a, a herb called passionflower. Passionflower, again, in our system is known as a nervine, which is a, a term with a broad spectrum indication for uh, remedies that are associated with neurological problems and nervous system distress that reflect themselves in in a convulsive or abnormal muscular way. They are two herbs that I think are worthwhile uh, toying with it um, and and, uh, taking them on board perhaps after you've done a little bit of research. Look at the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983. I think you'll find some encouragement for the consideration of those two herbs as supplements that may, let me say may, nothing more than that, May, yeah, give you, understand. may give you an additional edge. But what I would say, Doug, is this. Look, um, what we frequently find in medicine, or what I frequently find in this system of medicine, I have to be cautious when I talk this way, is that there is always something out there in the waiting room ready, ready to be taken on board. And it's patients like yourself that are, if you like, searching, looking at the, at the literature, credible literature, from reputable sources that in fact set the pace for a a different approach, an additional approach, and sometimes an approach which will definitely uh, subsequently uh, reflect itself even in the mainstream uh, treatment of a condition. Now, let me very quickly just say that in recent times, I am convinced, I am convinced that there are two remedies one in particular that I have spoken about frequently on the program of late, called Java kidney tea, botanically known as orthosiphon stamineus, which has a real proven ability to slow down the uh, failing kidney. In other words, in chronic kidney disease, I am convinced from my own prescribing of the herb, and I think I'm the only one in the country doing it, uh, the prescribing of this herb with the patient's medical professional uh, being on board and knowing uh, what is happening, 
I am convinced that uh, discovering this remedy, researching it, has given me uh, a, an approach that is documented and capable, in my opinion, of slowing down the degeneration of a failing kidney. What am I saying? I'm saying there is information out there that is not taken on board at this stage by the mainstream, but in my opinion is lurking in the wings, and it is people like yourself that I give credit to for looking at what is out there and seeing the, the potential credibility of it, not just yielding, if you like, to the condition, but fighting like hell against it. Yeah, well, hopefully I'll be uh, taking part in a research program they're about to start at John Hunter. Wonderful, uh, wonderful. Into it, so um, well, hopefully I'll get on, on to that. That's great. Yeah. Look, if, if down the track you, you want to ring me in the rooms or anything and, 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 and talk to me, I'll be happy to talk to you um, because you're doing something that I know a lot of other listeners do. They don't just throw up their arms and say, well, okay, I've got this problem. All that I can do for myself is just yield to the mainstream medical approach, I am convinced, like I've never been more convinced, and I'm an old man now, that complementary medicine, complementary medicine has more to offer for degenerative and chronic disease conditions than what the mainstream as yet can recognise. Yep, well, uh, thank you very much for that, Dennis. Give it a go, Doug. Thank you. Good on you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Doug. We've got Helen now from Redheads. How can we help you, Helen? Helen. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello, Helen. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. How can we help you, Helen? I've just been told that I have diabetic neuropathy. Okay. Okay. And and I was sent to, I think it's called Lighthouse now yes. in Hamilton. Oh, yes. And I got tablets and they're called Pain and Inflammation Complete. That's got oh. Boswellia. Yes. Serata in them or something. Okay. Uh, so, look, but I've, hmm. And I've got the socks. Yes. But only one foot likes the socks. The other one, okay. the big toe aches all night. Okay. Look, with a, with a diabetic um, neuropathic condition, for the sake of listeners, it should be explained that neuropathy is a, a loss of nerve sensation in the feet as a result yes. of the condition of diabetes. Now, regardless yep. of what else you are doing, and all that I would say is you have to be cautious that you're not, um, how can I call it, taking on board everything that is purportedly able to address this condition. My approach is to say, look, what is there that has some documentation of being benefit, uh, to benefit the condition when used, when used in a long-term approach? Now, I have mentioned on the program before uh, some time ago, that diabetic neuropathy, as opposed to neuropathy generally. Now, what I'm going to say here is applies only to diabetic neuropathy. In the literature, which is reasonable literature, critical literature, um, there is a pretty strong suggestion that high doses, ongoingly high doses of oil of evening primrose has, oh, okay. the, has the potential has the potential to address the problem. Now, am I, am I saying this is the cure? No, I'm not. Am I saying that in diabetic neuropathy, there is suggestion in the literature, and that must be based on some degree of evidence, because the literature I'm talking about is, is, is if anything, 
fairly critical and it's sometimes sceptical of complementary medicine, um, oil of evening primrose comes up as a possibility. I would see that as a, a very safe and reasonable substance uh, to use ongoingly. Uh, whatever, whatever else you use, that's up to you. But I would think, uh, do a bit of research on oil of evening primrose, high doses, particularly for this condition. Okay, it's of a night time when I'm in bed. Yes. It's like someone's cooking my feet. Yes, that, that unfortunately um, is one of the symptoms that uh, neuropathic conditions can be associated with. Is it, when you are, when you are in bed, are you, uh, is it painful? Yes, only the big, the big toe on the left foot. That's okay. why I can't wear the socks on it. I went to Anstey's and got um, socks that are supposed to be good for it. It's good on the right foot, but the left foot, there's something wrong with that big toe that no one will take any interest in. And it's like a nerve pain through it. Yeah, that's, the, that's what um, neuropathy can manifest itself in. I don't think there's any easy or fast way of resolving this. Have you spoken to your good GP about it? They can't get into a GP these days. Yeah, no, it's pretty rough, isn't it? Look, and the uh, house is having a baby and going to England. Okay. <laughs> Look, <laughs> give, yourself a, give yourself a run on what um, you're taking presently, particularly the um, oil of evening primrose. You might yep. be surprised. You might be surprised. Yeah, well, the, I can buy benefit. that at the pharmacist, can't I? Any pharmacist, and you can yep. get it in various doses. Um, I would suggest that if you're going to use it, you yep. you take about three thousand milligrams minimally per day. A lot of failure, okay. a lot of failures occur with oil of evening primrose because the dosage is usually dramatically under what is considered to be a therapeutic dose. And I might so say, I might a day. a minimum of that. And yep. that, that's what I read in the literature. And let me just say to listeners as a side on what we're talking about, uh, going and getting a whole heap of natural remedies to particularly address certain things, that can be a waste of time unless yes. unless you get professional advice on the dosage that is required to get a benefit going. Now, this I, is I, this is particularly so with some of the anti-inflammatory remedies that we have been uh, men mentioning it, uh, so far, herbs such as willow bark, which mightn't be a bad idea to think about bringing into your management as a mild analgesic and something that has a fairly credible reputation in addressing minimal levels of, of inflammation. But there, uh, preparations of willow bark will not work unless they are taken in dosages that comply with that written in the literature. So oh, okay. uh, as a general uh, statement, when you are uh, getting advice or getting hold of supplements, make sure the person that you are uh, getting them from knows what they're talking about and that the dosage is a dosage that can be justified for the condition. Otherwise, uh, you could be spending a lot of money on very coloured urine. Oh, yes, I, I used to work in a health food shop many years ago. Okay, well, and look, I will say this, and I've said it before, I believe Newcastle is blessed in as much that the health food store proprietors that we have, in my opinion, are some of the best in Australia and are some of the most ethical 
that I have worked with, uh, Newcastle is not a bad town uh, for being looked after. Uh, Novocastrians are a, uni a unique breed, and I don't say that just because I'm a, a, a Novocastrian born and bred. But apparently, we, my boss was the first health food shop in Newcastle. How about that? I probably knew him. <laughs> Peter Morris. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. So, you know, well, there you yeah. go. Look, see how you go with that. So, but, well, I still take this pain and inflammation complete. I think it's. But someone it, said you need PEA. Yeah, but look, and the, apparently the, it's in that. The, there again, there again, all these things might have a possibility. Some of them, however, are very, very expensive. And, and ordinary working class people and pensioners, pensioners have difficulty. Yeah. yeah. So that's... Well, that's all I've been taking is okay. that. Okay. Well, that's I've good. I've only been taking it about a week or so. Well, that's good. I think that by, by taking that, the person that's given it to you knows what they're talking about. But again... Would, it was Mr. Shamley yeah, that used to be the chemist. Yeah, I know the gentleman very well. Yeah, he, yeah. he did some studies with me, a very ethical man, a very competent man. You're in good hands. So should I go back and get the willow bark and that off him? Well, look, what I would say at this stage is stay with what you're doing. Don't add to it anything at this stage. Otherwise, you, I, don't, you don't know. Whether or not so it's don't going to take do anything. the oil of evening primrose. I would, I would suggest primrose oil should be started because yeah. it's working quite differently to the okay. anti-inflammatory uh, substance that's been prescribed for you. I, if I were in your situation, I would firm up on those couple of things and not be looking round uh, for a number of other things which are, may not do anything and not really give you a chance to see whether yes. what these recommendations are going to do for you. Take it easy, okay. Helen. Take it easy. Okay, well, thank you very much for your advice. All right, Helen. Good on you. Next, we've got Kate from Macquarie Hills. She's got a question about type 1 diabetes. Hi, all. Thank you for taking my call. Hello, Kate. Um, my husband, 58, has been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in last, uh, no, uh, just November, gone. And in January, beginning of January, was then diagnosed with polymyelasia. Um, polymyalgia? That's, thank you. I can never get that word that's out. Cool. That's all right. Um, obviously, uh, he's on steroids, uh, prednisolone. Yes. Sorry if I got that wrong too. Yeah, prednisone, um, no, that's fine. That's it, which is um, playing havoc with his um, blood glucose levels, of course. Yes. But um, it's also a hit and miss of whether it's actually helping his polymyalgia. Um, he's lost heaps of weight. Um, I'm just wondering if you've got any advice for us, please. Look, his case is obviously a complicated case, and anything that I would say, particularly on radio, is is unlikely uh, to have any dramatic benefit. Uh, if he's type one, uh, that's yep. qu that's quite different to being a type two patient, and with type one, that has to be constantly and regularly and necessarily managed uh, by yep. his GP or specialist. So the yep. first first thing to keep in mind is that any attempt to depart from the standard medical management for type 1 diabetes, in my opinion, is likely to lead to disaster. And, uh -huh. re and regardless of what you read in some of the uh, left field uh, journals or information that circulates, the medical management for type 1 diabetes uh, has changed the whole prognosis over the last century for people that had that condition. Now, having, uh -huh. sa having said that, having said that, um, from a, a, a food perspective, and this should be 
discussed, of course, uh, with your doctor or the specialist. Yep. Um, there is a herb that is universally used uh, in South America and in, in, in Asia um, to address elevated blood sugar levels and as a food might be useful in helping uh, maintain your uh, husband's blood sugar levels even with the medication that he's having, perhaps oh. a, perhaps even lessening the, uh -huh. the, the movement upwards uh, in, oh. in, in, in uh, medication requirements. Now, oh. the, the food that is, is famous for addressing uh, diabetes, particularly type 2, but maybe also with type 1 as a, as a supportive food-based assisting agent, is known as a bitter melon. Now, uh -huh. bitter melon is not a popular vegetable eaten by Australians, uh, but it is available in our good food stores, uh, even in supermarkets. One sees it. Uh, a bitter melon is like uh, a cucumber with uh, lumps and bumps all over okay. its skin, and yeah. there are numerous ways of preparing it. In fact, it is probably one of the most eaten foods, as I've said, in South Asia and other parts of the world, uh, and in my, in my studies, I would say that as a result of the way in which it is so regularly uh, eaten and the way in which it's prepared explains why um, in various diabetic states it has helped the management. If you are good on the net, you can punch in uh, bitter melon. Uh, yep. Botanically, it is known as mamorica charanta, oh. mamorica charanta. If you punch it in, you'll be amazed at the amount of information there is with reference to bitter melon, particularly for type 2, but also as a food that might be of some benefit in helping in the management of type 1, in no way taking the place of the medical management, yeah. but, as, but as a food, a good food in my opinion. Uh, but it, the, it should be mentioned uh, to your GP or your medical manager so that yep. they would be aware of your eating the food so that over a period of time, if there were a beneficial indication in your husband's blood sugar levels, uh, there could be some credit perhaps given to that particular food. There are other foods also around the world that are used, but bitter melon, bitter melon, get on the net, look at it, see the benefits that it has and the various ways that it can be prepared. If you have some uh, neighbours... Uh, or someone in your street that's of, of Indian origin, they would be delighted, delighted to show you how to prepare the bitter melon a, as a food, an edible vegetable, when taken regularly in the diet, I am saying is a useful food for any form of diabetes. Now, okay. with reference to polymyalgia, um, the, the uh, herb that is most popularly used in Western herbal medicine um, is is a, 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 a herb that's got a, a weird name. It's called Devil's Claw. Devil's Claw, uh, a South African herb that was uh, popularly uh, used uh, in in um, German occupation of Southwest Africa, but now is uh, a mainstream Western herbal medicine defined in the British herbal pharmacopoeia and other literature as being useful for myalgic conditions, where the term myalgia means muscle pain and polymyalgia means uh, systemic or muscle pain all around the body. It's a very safe herb. 
I'm not aware of it having any impact at all on diabetic management, but look, it might just give him an edge in easing some of the discomfort of this accompanying condition. Thank you so much, Dennis. We might give those a go and we'll talk to our specialist also. I think you should because I would like to see more and more uh, specific foods uh, brought in to management, particularly when there is literature out there that is credible and when there are societal factors uh, confirming the potential benefit of any one food in the helping of any one condition. Mm. Now, it's just been tough only newly uh, diagnosing and trying to juggle both of them and not knowing um, how one yeah. impacts. But anyway, we'll get through that. Look, that's, that's only simple advice, uh, but it is inexpensive. And yep. in my opinion, it's worthwhile giving a go. You're on the right track. Uh, you must not depart from the mainstream approach, but let uh, your good doctor know what you're thinking of working around. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. We've got Joy from Tweed Heads, and her daughter has just been diagnosed with fallen arches. Hello, Joy. Hello, Greg. How are you? I'm very well. How can we help you, Joy? Hi, Dennis. Um, my daughter was just um, been to the doctors yesterday. Yes. And they told her that she has falling arches, which are very painful, as you may know. Yes. So um, they sent her off to see the podiatrist yes, yesterday yes, afternoon yes. and um, <clears throat> I didn't go in with my daughter, but yes. she came out and um, she had all this taping and all around her ankles and over the tops of her feet, Dennis, which they say she said was giving her a slight bit of relief, but not a great deal. So I was wondering, do you have any suggestions that she may be able to use a herbal thing or something, Dennis, that may... Give us some relief. Look, I think the the pathway that she's uh, moving along is probably uh, better than anything else. Did the podiatrist suggest anything like orthotics or anything like that? Um, well, no, she didn't sort of say anything okay. about that. No. So, see, there there are specialist practitioners these days that uh, sp- that specialise in what might be called foot conditions. Mm-hmm. I can't mention any names, but we have some good um, practitioners of that, particularly here in, in the Newcastle area. Yeah. Um, and I would think the best advice that I could give to you would be to um, certainly not uh, dis- dismiss what the good podiatrist has done. I have great regards for podiatrists that I, I see my podiatrist at least once every six weeks. But mm-hmm. it, 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 in my opinion, it's a specialised condition and um, therapies, particularly those associated with supportive, supportive uh, footwear, might be a useful way of uh, reinforcing whatever work your daughter is having done. Yes, well, that's what he suggested yeah, yeah. about the footwear, yes. Yeah, I, think, I think that is the way to go. If it's any consolation to you or encouragement to you, my dear wife, at this stage of her life, um, her feet are giving her real problems, and a lot of that is associated with uh, a fallen arch condition, and mm-hmm. we are organising at this moment to see uh, the, the practitioners in this town that specialise in this condition uh, foot conditions and and, and uh, approach it from the point of view of supporting the condition with footwear that may lessen 
uh, the generation and discomfort of the condition. I think that uh, she started off well, Joy, but I would mention this to her. Uh, and she might also discuss that with the podiatrist, who may well, in fact, be, be trained to do that. But footwear is where I would think the emphasis should be. Yes, well, the jogger she's wearing, because mm-hmm. um, she's now currently working um, in a restaurant where she's on her feet yes. um, all weekend mainly. Yes. So um, yes. he told her he's given her the week off to try and see if that can ease it off a little bit until she gets a little bit of relief. But... Um, he did suggest about the proper footwear and yes. the jogger she's wearing, he says, it would be quite fine. But okay. she, he's told her, because she wears a van of thongs all the time, yeah. and he's told her, no, not to wear them because um, they're definitely no support. Yes. And um, she's looking into getting a sandaly strap. We're trying to get her into Birkenstocks at the moment, yes. Dennis, yes. to try yes. and help yep. that with the supporter. Yeah. Look, I think, uh, Joy, what you're doing to me makes a lot of sense. And I think the, uh, the, the the program that you're embarking on is likely to get to the condition or get to the situation where she will be comfortable. That's the reason why with my dear wife, we're pursuing at this uh, late stage of our life a little bit of uh, treatment for this yeah. condition with what I've said, basically similar to what you're doing, correct footwear, supportive footwear, footwear designed to address this condition, which is a very popular condition. Mm. Now, you're on the right track, Joy. I don't think there's any one herb uh, or anything that I have much to offer you uh, with, with, say, of internal medicine, but um, using this program of uh, footwear, I think, is the way to go. Okay, Dennis. Thank you very much for taking my call. Thank you, Joy. Thank you, Dennis. Bye. Bye. It's Health Naturally on 2 you are FM. And Dennis, we'll come back with dietary training. The, well, we're going to talk about the start of the show. Oh, well, 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 we'll give a lead into it because we might, we might look at the main topic of dietary change when we meet next week. It's something I've touched on today with reference to lifestyle and uh, dietary change with reference to a couple of conditions. But I had intended today to take up the controversial topic of dietary change, lifestyle modification for helping arthritic conditions. We'll do that again and next week, I hope. Okay. It's Health Naturally on 2NUR at FM. And Dennis, we've only got probably a couple of minutes left, but we want to talk about the dietary change in arthritic <laughs> You want to get into it earlier, do you? <laughs> they did, but we're probably not going to have enough time to get yeah. right to the, the, gut, the guts of it. Mm. Look, it's a topic that is controversial because uh, within the mainstream there is still resistance to the idea that dietary change and lifestyle change can significantly alter the direction or the status, particularly of some of the chronic conditions that we've been talking about, particularly inflammatory joint conditions, classic one being rheumatoid arthritis. And I can understand uh, the cynicism because there hasn't been a lot of what you might call specifically monitored uh, medical uh, assessment of some of these conditions. However, I'm before this microphone today because as a young man, I used dietary change, a lifestyle modification to, to treat a chronic settled state of eczema. And I proved the validity of a dietary change in getting rid of the condition as far as the frequency of its outbreak and the severity of it. I know that that changed the whole direction of my experience of that inflammatory skin disease, but yet the approach that I used was a radical approach developed by Scandinavian 
uh, professional, Dr. Uh, Dr. Wehrland, whose book Rebuilding Health had a protocol in it relative to the dietary change required for, for eczema, and I followed it meticulously, as my dear wife will tell you, and uh, I went back to my employment after taking a significant time off. I went back to my employ employment as an engineer in, in, in Sydney and free of the debilitating uh, and embarrassing and uncomfortable condition that many listeners would know about known as eczema. That, in my opinion, demonstrated the validit or the valid possibility that radical dietary change can sometimes help a condition so I believe in it, and I believe with conditions like arthritis and rheumatism, arthritis in particular, we can excite listeners by talking about the particular dietary models that are out there. The one that we'll talk about has been developed by a medical professional in modern times. Well, Dennis, we'll have to get into it next week once again. We will, again. Greg. We, <laughs> we will. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>